Amen. Great singing this morning. You may be seated. Good morning. Good to have you all with us this morning. Uh, For those of you who are visiting, I'm Steve House. I'm the pastor of Corridor Baptist Church. It's good to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Uh, We're going to go ahead and start in Matthew chapter 28. This is not 
our main text, but I do think consider, considering uh, the morning that it is appropriate that we read this, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1, and if you don't have a Bible, that's fine, just uh, follow along with us, Matthew chapter 28, verse number 1, let's go ahead and stand in reverence uh, to God's Word, Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do pray, Lord, that Our ears would be open and our hearts would be receptive to your word this morning. Lord God, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be here in your house this morning. We are reminded of the fact that our Savior died for our sins and was buried in a borrowed tomb and then raised again on the first day of the week. And Lord God, as we consider that this morning, as we celebrate it all day today, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, that you'd cause them to see that we are the reason that Jesus died. And Father, thankfully, rose again so that we can have a Savior. And Lord, I pray now that you would just bless in the preaching and the teaching of your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd make it clear. I pray that we'd understand And Father, once again, that we'd be receptive to it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, you can go ahead and be seated at this time. You know, Matthew chapter 28 here, it's a wonderful, wonderful portion of Scripture. It's a Scripture about the resurrection and the victory that Jesus had over the grave. And I know that we love to go over that. And matter of fact, we sang about it this morning. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior, but up from the grave he arose. And how thankful we are for that. But I want us to back up just a few days prior, just before Jesus was about to be, res- uh, uh, just before he was about to be arrested and crucified. And the title of my message this morning is Privilege Has a Price. Privilege Has a Price. And I want us to back up to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. And this, uh, of course, is Jesus' uh, teaching and then about to be arrested. And Matthew chapter 26, verse number 31, he's talking to his apostles. These are his closest disciples. And uh, in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 31, he says something very strange to them. But then later on, we're going to discover why he said it. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 31, where Jesus saith unto them, 
all ye. Now this is his apostles now. Those that have stuck with him through thick and thin. He says, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. Now, there is a great message right in that portion of scripture right there. But now we want to uh, fast forward to Matthew chapter 26. And now Jesus is being arrested. And of course, between this time, there's an argument. The apostles argue with Jesus and they say that's not going to happen. We certainly wouldn't be offended of you. We've stood, stood with you through thick and, and thin. And when everyone else has left, we're still here. Peter even said, I will die before I forsake you. But in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 56, we would do well to listen to the word of God. Because in Matthew chapter 26, verse number 56, the Bible says, But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. You know, the disciples had been given the privilege of spending over three years with Jesus and had seen some amazing things. And now we come to the end of that three and a half years and Jesus is continuing to do what he was sent here to do. The main thing he was sent here to do was to die on the cross for our sins. And he told his disciples this. He began to teach this to them early on. But like kids, it's one of those things that often would go in one ear and right out the other, and they had completely dismissed it. But Jesus continually taught to them, I must go to Jerusalem, there suffer at the hands of the elders, and there die, and then be raised again. But when it came to fruition, the Bible tells us that they all forsook him and fled. But leading up to this time, they've had three and a half years to witness Jesus. They've had three and a half years to live with him. They've had three and a half years to minister with him. And they've had three and a half years to watch some amazing things. In our studies on Sunday morning, prior to the Easter season, we've been going over the miracles that Jesus performed, every one of which these apostles got to witness. They watched the blind, uh, the blinded eyes open. They watched as the deaf were allowed to hear for the very first time. They watched as the crippled that had laid in bed for all their lives would walk up or get up and carry their beds back to their homes. They actually saw on three different occasions someone raised from the dead. So they got to see some incredible things, some amazing things. Yet, now the Bible says that they have forsook him and fled. You know, to be sure, identifying with Jesus had caused them to see and experience many victories. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 9 says, As it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. My, at the very beginning, Jesus was talking to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was impressed 
at Jesus' ability. And I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus said, in effect, he said, Nathaniel, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's a lot more to come. Nathaniel was just impressed that Jesus knew all about him. Well, Jesus knows all about everything. He had never met this man, and yet this man knew all about him. And Nathaniel said, man, that, that is impressive. And Jesus said, you just wait. Stick with me, kid, and you'll see some things. And Nathaniel stuck with him. And Nathaniel saw some things. The apostles have learned in our text, however, fast forward three and a half years, and they have learned that privilege has a price. That the privilege of, Jesus, of being Jesus' disciple would not only be wrought with privilege, but would also be met with opposition and would not always be easy. You see, a lot of people try to sugarcoat what it is to be a disciple of Jesus, but Jesus never did sugarcoat it. Jesus flat out said, you follow me, and there's going to be great privileges. There's going to be great victories. But you also need to understand there's going to be great hardships. And there's going to be great opposition. Jesus never sugarcoated the difficulties of identifying with him. He, Jesus himself experienced these hardships as his biblical stands and teaching even tore up his own family. His teachings were not in line with the times. He was not woke, and the things he said were certainly not politically correct. As a matter of fact, at one point, his own brothers sat him down and said, Jesus, why can't you just go with the times? Why can't you just uh, believe like everyone else and say like everyone else and teach like everything else and just go along with everything else? You know, as a result, the Bible says that his town cast him out. His own brothers cast him out. There was division in his family. Jesus even said as much. He warned this could very well be the case. If you decide to follow me, you are going to suffer the same things that I suffered. In Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the, and, and, uh, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jesus was just teaching what he'd already experienced, that his greatest enemies became his family because they wanted nothing to do with his teaching. They wanted nothing to do with who he claimed to be. Now in our text, in Matthew chapter 26, the disciples are learning this the hard way. They've seen some great victories. They've, seen, they've experienced some wonderful miracles. But now they're watching Jesus be carried away in chains. One person, however, who had already experienced many of the hardships associated with identifying with Jesus was the one person who would be with him from cradle to grave. We're first introduced to her before the birth of Jesus, and her name is Mary, Jesus' mother. 
Mary would learn early on that privilege has a price. Back up a little bit further, actually a lot further, some 33 and a half years, and Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, we're first introduced to Mary. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then, of course, we know that Gabriel would give her the message that she would give birth to a son and that, of course, he would save his people from their sins. Now, as we're introduced to Mary in the gospel, we find her receiving an unbelievable message from heaven that would forever change her life. Mary, you are highly favored. And Mary, because of that favor, you are going to have the privilege of mothering the Savior of the world. It was a message that contained much hope, but it was also a message that would cause Mary many hardships. Matter of fact, too many hardships for us to even list right now. But those hardships began immediately, I assume. As she got pregnant, and the Bible tells us it was a supernatural pregnancy that the Holy Spirit came upon her and placed in her, in her womb, the Savior. And of course, the first thing that she would have to face was the man she was espoused to, the man who had never had physical relations with her, because the Bible says she was a virgin. And so immediately hardships. And of course, we know the Bible records how Joseph reacted to this news. Why, he was confused. He was upset. He wasn't sure what to do. And the Bible says that he just kind of wanted to keep it quiet, but he decided that he was going to have Mary put away. That means he was going to divorce her. Understanding an engagement in those days was just as binding as a marriage. And you had to go through the process of divorce. And one of the, one of the reasons you could divorce someone in those days, it wasn't like today when you could just do it for any reason. One of the reasons you could do it in those days was uh, she had cheated on you. And of course, that's what Joseph thought initially. Hey, she's pregnant. She's come up with this elaborate story. And the Bible says that Joseph being a just man, that means he didn't go around trashing her He didn't go around gossiping about her. He didn't go around saying she's a cheat and and, and all the other things that he could have been saying. The Bible says he was a just man and that he decided to put her away quietly to just divorce her and then move on with his life. Well, as you can imagine, this crushed Mary. And the hardships immediately began. Well, praise the Lord. God put an end to that and came to Joseph in a dream and said to go ahead and take Mary because the, what, what she had told him was the absolute truth and that he'd have the privilege of being the father, not the biological father, but the one who would raise 
Jesus the Savior. And so both these individuals would have privilege, but both of them would come to the realization very early, privilege has a price. Now you may wonder, is this Christmas or is it Easter? (laughs) The one thing that we forget during the Christmas season is that the message Gabriel brought from heaven would mean absolutely nothing without the resurrection. Without the resurrection, there'd be no Christmas. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another good man or just another great man. And actually, he wouldn't even be a good man because he claimed to be the Messiah. Therefore, he'd be a blasphemer and a liar. Without the resurrection, without Easter, there is no Christmas. Also, without Christmas, there is no Easter. Mary's simple life would have become chaotic all for naught if there was no resurrection. In Luke chapter 1, she says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. You know, there is no Savior if there is no resurrection. So in essence, the good news given by the angel to Mary is not good news at all if there is no resurrection. It's just a pointless waste of a life, and nothing changes for the better. Now, we know that if there is no Christmas, there is no Easter, but realize once again that there is no Easter, then there is no Christmas. Hey, the gospel, which means good news itself, becomes the opposite if there is no resurrection. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 1, He said, Moreover, my brother, and I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, According to the scriptures, consider the terrible implications. If Jesus was born and died, but never rose again. Now, getting back to the young girl we left in Luke chapter 1, Mary's been given a message and an opportunity from heaven, not unlike the message and opportunity that each and every one of us receives from heaven. Though there will only be one person ever given the opportunity to be the mother of Jesus, we're all given the opportunity to have the privilege of being identified with him. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 1, the Bible says, As many as believed in him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. And so, no one else will ever be the mother of Jesus, but we can all be his brothers, his sisters, by trusting in Him as personal Savior. As we consider the consequences of Mary's identification with Jesus, it brings with it, though perhaps to a lesser degree, the expectations of all in being identified with Him. So as Mary receives this message from heaven, there are three things for us to consider this morning, and I'll try to get through them as quickly as I can. Three things to consider this morning in the, in, in the price of privilege. Three things to consider in the privilege of identifying with the Messiah. So the first thing I want us to consider this morning, number one when it comes to Mary, is the admission. 
Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we'll come back to our text here in a little bit. But Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Now Mary's just been given this, this great, great message. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 1, verse number 30... Luke chapter 1, verse number 30, The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth the Son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end." But Mary had to make an admission here. And I think it's an admission that we all have to make when we hear the gospel for the very first time. Verse number 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She looked to Gabriel and she said this, Me doing what you're asking is impossible. It's impossible. I can't do it. She realized the impossibility of the message. But then she was rest assured in verse number 35. That the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. But she had to make an admission. I cannot, uh, I can't identify with Jesus in the way you asked me to. It is an impossibility. Yet, Mary said, God's taken care of it. You don't have to do anything, Mary. God's already taken care of it. Just accept the message. You know, likewise, our identification and salvation by God is fraught with one great impossibility. Josh taught this morning, and he taught on our, our expectation of getting to heaven. And a lot of people have this expectation, but it's based on vain thoughts. It's based on a, a false teaching. Because the Bible tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we are all condemned. What did I have to do to be condemned? All I had to do was be physically born. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 3, we see Jesus having a discussion with a very religious individual who says to Jesus that I know thou art a teacher from God. And Jesus said to that religious individual, we, I, I suppose we'd call him a priest today or, or a rabbi, maybe even a preacher and Jesus said to this individual, he said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, this preacher or this rabbi or this priest realized the impossibility of what Jesus was talking about. And he said, how can a man be born the second time? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
It's being born again. It's an impossibility. Understand this. Our identification and salvation is impossible. Our sin keeps us from ever being identified with the perfect Messiah. It's a hardship that many are not willing to face. Boy, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Well, I think I would. Are you willing to gamble your soul on, I think? How many times have you said, well, I think this is the right thing and it ended up being the wrong thing? I think this is the right formula. It ended up being the wrong formula. I think this is the way you put this thing together, but you didn't read the instructions, guys. And therefore, you had to take it all apart because you missed something vital at the very beginning and you had to start all over again. Are you willing to to gamble your soul on, I think, or I believe? My, how many times did you believe something? It ended up being absolutely wrong. Scripture says this, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, that's an impossibility. I can't do that. Scripture says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here, here's the thing. Unless you are perfect, spotless, without sin, you can't get to heaven. Oh, preacher, that's impossible. Nobody's perfect. You're right. Nobody's perfect. Oh, but Jesus was perfect. The spotless, sinless Son of God. The Bible tells us he was tempted in all ways, like as we are, yet without sin. How many times have we done something wrong? Hopefully, it, uh, you can at least go back to your childhood and, and, and admit this. Where you did something, you knew it was wrong, but your excuse was the circumstances demanded you do it. Maybe you hit your brother because he just needed to be hit. And when your parents asked you, did you hit your brother? You said, yes, but... And then you begin by began to explain how it was actually your brother's fault that your fist met his face. And our parents never bought it. Guess what? God's not going to buy it either. As we stand before him and he says, okay, are you perfect? Well, God, of course not. Nobody's perfect. Matthew chapter 7 says he's going to say, Well, then depart from me, you that work iniquity. I never knew you. 1 Corinthians 6 verse number 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? What did I have to do to become unrighteous? Sin, the wages of sin, one sin is death. 
Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Isaiah 59, verse number 2 says, Our iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Those willing to acknowledge this is impossible. Those willing to acknowledge I am sinful. I have sinned. I'm not innocent. I don't deserve heaven, particularly if heaven, the requirement for heaven is perfection. I don't deserve it. Those willing to admit this impossibility that it is impossible for them to identify with Jesus, need not worry, just as God made preparations so Mary could be identified with Christ, God has made preparation so we can be identified with Christ. We celebrate the last part of that preparation today, the resurrection. But one of the things forgotten about in the resurrection is that Jesus had to die in order to be resurrected. Well, why did Jesus have to die? Because he had to pay the price. The perfect son of God had to pay the price for imperfect man. A few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus' death and how that Jesus' death was unmerciful. It was without mercy. If you accept Christ as your personal Savior, accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, Jesus said it in, Luke, in John, chapter, uh, John chapter 3, if you're willing to be born again, you'll not have to experience an unmerciful death or a death without mercy. A death without mercy simply means dying without God. The lost will have to go through that. Actually, that is what we all deserve. But Jesus did that so you and I don't have to. Those willing to acknowledge, I am a sinner. Just as God made preparation for Mary, he's made preparation for us. We have covered this over the last several weeks in Isaiah chapter 53. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4. Isaiah says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, talking about Jesus. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So all of our sins were placed on him. Therefore, we need to acknowledge I'm a sinner and my sin was placed on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for us or in our place. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, the admission. This privilege is an impossibility. But through the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it has been made possible. Therefore, we need to do as Mary did. Mary said, it's impossible. I can't do this. No one can have a baby without a physical relationship with another man. You know what I just said? It's ironic. That's politically incorrect. But that's exactly what Mary said. No woman can have a baby without a physical relationship or the help of a man. She said, I can't do this. And God said, don't worry. I've taken care of it for you. The Holy Ghost has come upon you, and the power of Almighty God is going to be uh, beyond you. That which is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So Mary had a decision to make. Am I going to accept this? Am I going to believe this? Am I going to surrender to this? So in Luke chapter 1, verse number 38, the Bible says that Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. In other words, she surrendered. She said, I believe it. I trust it. Lord God, I am yours. Also in verse number 46, Luke chapter 1, verse number 46 Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Verse number 49. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. The first step of identifying with God or becoming a son of God is admitting It's an impossibility for me to become a son of God. I'm not worthy to be a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God. I, within myself, cannot identify with God. Oh, but then God says, I've taken care of it. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived as a man. He lived the perfect life. He died as a man. He died for man. Oh, but because the wages of sin is death, and he had never sinned himself, on the first day of the week, he walked out of his grave. Death had no hold on our God. Therefore, God says, well, I've done it for you. All you have to do, first of all, admit you can't do it yourself. Admit you're a sinner and then surrender to me. Surrender to the sacrifice. So there had to be an admission. But the second thing that we see in this message to Mary 
is there was an acknowledgement, an acknowledgement, and and I believe there there needs to be an acknowledgement. Now this is going to come later. Once you're saved, you're saved. But after you're saved, you're going to have to acknowledge some things. Here's the thing about being saved. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you, dwells in you. Now, that's a great thing. It's also a very hard thing. Because now all of a sudden, all the things that you were able to do without any remorse, without any guilt, living the life that the rest of the world lives, now all of a sudden you've got a Holy Spirit within you that needles you. That becomes that, that, that grows your conscience. We already have a conscience. But the Holy Spirit grows that conscience. And now all of a sudden, when I don't go to church on Sunday, before it never bothered me, now I feel guilty. Why do I feel guilty all of a sudden? We like to blame the preacher. Pastor, it's your fault because you're always preaching on not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. No, guess what? It's not my fault. It's the Holy Spirit that resides within you. And so there are some hardships, literally some hardships that come along. Also, now you start living differently because you are a child of God. And this may also cause division in your life. It may cause division in your family. It may cause division among your friends. As a matter of fact, many people who get saved are surprised to find out that their friends weren't really their friends, and they leave them. Or they'll stick with you for a while. Well, I understand this is just a phase you're going through. Soon as the phase gets, goes away, and, and they'll get together with your other friends, and man, what is wrong with, what's wrong with Fred, man? I mean, he's, he's different, he's weird. He won't even drink anymore. And then I told him a dirty joke the other day. He didn't even laugh. He kind of looked like he was upset. Boy, he used to swear all the time. When was the last time you heard Fred swear? And then we can't do anything with him on Sunday. He's always at that church down the road. What's wrong with him? And another friend will probably say, well, you know, he's gone through some hard times. I think he's just going through a phase. Give him some time. But if you're really saved, you can't get rid of the Holy Spirit. Thank God once you're saved, you're always saved. You can't lose your salvation. Once you have a home in heaven, once you have reservations in heaven, those reservations will never be taken away. And then your friends begin to realize, wow, this isn't a phase. Now, it may be a friend or two says, you know what you have, I need. Can you share it with me? That's how friends get saved. By seeing you live. Hearing your testimony. But the bulk of your friends probably will say, well, this isn't a phase. He's just, he's nuts. And then 
they're they're gone they're out of your life family members can be the cruelest there were numerous hardships caused by mary saying yes to god and they began immediately she didn't lose joseph joseph was one to god but then immediately there was this this tough trip that she had to take to bethlehem now keep in mind she would have had to take and take she would have had to take this trip anyway but not 9 months pregnant then she had to give birth in a manger Jesus promised hardships for his followers in Matthew chapter 6 verse 23 if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me Mary's identification with Jesus would even be the cause of some family division her family would be divided over this in John chapter 7 understand this a lot of people don't realize this but Jesus had brothers and sisters. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 7, verse number 3, that his brother said unto him, Depart hence and, and go into Judea. We don't want to see you around here anymore. Imagine how much that hurt Mary to see that her own sons couldn't get along. And why was it? Because this Jesus. You know, her family would have been fine. I say, fine, without Jesus. But no, Jesus had to come in, the oldest of them, and he had to insist on his teaching that he was the Messiah, and it just messed things up. You know, it's kind of interesting. The Bible says that neither did his brethren believe in him. Rest assured, though, Christ is the greatest unifier. Identifying with him can also cause division in the family. You know, here's an interesting thing. The Bible never names Jesus' sisters. It names his brothers. And I believe there's a reason for that. I personally don't believe that Jesus' sisters ever came around. That the family was divided and remained divided. Now we know this, the brothers of Jesus, they all came to know Christ as personal Savior, every single one of them. Two of them even wrote books of the Bible. But when we come to the book of Acts, when the church is gathered together there, and the Bible says that the, the, that the amount of members in that church were 120. The Bible proceeds to tell us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was one of the members of that church. And so were every one of Jesus' brothers, but no sisters. The sisters are not, the sisters are only mentioned one time, and that's the fact he had them. And then we never hear about them ever again. I don't believe they ever came around. And you know what? This is a fact that we have to face sometimes. That if I, 
accept Christ as my personal Savior, there's a good chance, and Jesus promises this, it, 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 it may divide my family if I choose to live for him. By the way, this is nothing new. I've known people. My mother-in-law was kicked out of her home when she accepted Christ as Savior. Told to never come back. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 34. Jesus says, Think not, I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. I am come to set a man at variance against his father, a daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Wow, Jesus, that's so cruel. How could you say that? Jesus would have to say, because I've experienced it. Because I was told, leave and don't come back. But thank God, his brothers, after the resurrection, came to know Christ as personal Savior. His brother James became the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. Jude wrote the second to last book in the Bible. The rest of them were there in the church with their mother Mary. However, there was division. Oh, the hardships, the hurt, the hurt. Luke chapter 2, verse number 35 Luke 2.35, here's a prophecy about Jesus when he was still a baby. Mary was told by Simeon, a prophet, Mary was told concerning this young infant that a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed in other words, Mary, this is going to be, there's going to be some great hurts. And of course, I don't think there was a greater hurt than for Mary to watch her son being nailed to a cross. The Bible tells us she was there from the cradle to the cross, watching her son be crucified. Jesus was born to be pierced and in prophesying about the Messiah some 500 years before Jesus was even born, Zechariah said, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. His mom would stand by the cross. She would watch her son suffer. She would watch as they would tear off his clothes and gamble for them, gamble over them, cast lots over his garments. As he said, I thirst, she would watch as they would take a sponge and dip it in that bitter vinegar and stick it on a stick and hold it up to him and say, here, this is what you can drink. Because Jesus was and still is rejected by the mainstream, so too are those who are associated with him rejected. John 15 records this. Jesus said, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. 
Paul writes to Timothy, A, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now you say, man, preacher, we came here for some good news. Where is it? Well, here's the thing. Life is hard no matter who you are. Life is hard if you never accept Christ as your personal Savior. If you never know Christ as your Savior, you will experience rejection in your life. You never accept Christ as your Savior, you will, you will experience the death of family, the death of friends. If you never accept Christ as your personal Savior, you'll have people that you love fail you and hurt you. Now, if you do accept Christ as your personal Savior and you begin to live for Him, you're going to have hardships that are associated with that, but you'll have Jesus. And here's the thing that we learn about the apostles as we fast forward to the end of Jesus' life. The Bible tells us that they all forsook him and fled. Jesus said, you all will be offended. Tonight, you're all going to be offended because of me this night. He goes, but... When I am raised again from the dead, I will be with you. The apostles forsook Jesus, but Jesus never forsook the apostles. Our friends are all going to let us down, but in Jesus you have someone who will never let you down. The Bible tells us and promises us this, that God will 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 never leave us or forsake us. Yes, there had to be an admission. It's impossible. I, I can't I can't get to heaven. I can't live the perfect life. No one's perfect. Well Jesus lived it for you. He paid the price for your sins. He died, was buried, and he rose again so he's the living Savior. Now privilege does have its price. There was the admission, the acknowledgement, but now let's go to the advantage. Number three, the advantage. The advantage was this. There was an empty tomb at the end of this story. We read about it in the book of Matthew. As the women were going to finish preparing the, the body of Jesus And in other Gospels, we hear them talking about the stone that weighed anywhere from two to 4,000 pounds. How are we going to move this stone? Well, God took care of that too. He rolled the stone away. Of course, they found an empty tomb. Less work for them to have to do. Now they don't have to prepare the body. Because the body has walked out. The angel said, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, for he has risen. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four says, Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? When you identify with Jesus, you never have to fear death again. Death is actually just a step to a better place. And we can sing, this world is not my home. And aren't you glad for that? Because this world is falling apart at the seams. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Thank God for that. Have you seen the inflation rates lately? Have you seen the price of gas lately? Have you looked at the market lately? Have you checked your retirement fund lately? Hey, thank God my retirement's in heaven. And no one can take that away. Not a president, not bad policies, not inflation, not the price of gas. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And I'm going to spend a lot more time up there than I did here. This life is going by so fast. I started pastoring Quarter Baptist Church. It was just a, well, just a handful of people in 1994. I feel like I still just got here. That's how fast it's gone. I had one kid, and now those kids, I had two since I got here. Those three have grown up. We've got grandkids, and I blank, and they're growing up. Life is but a vapor, the Bible says. Life is but a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. And then what? Oh, I'll tell you what. You identify with Christ, then heaven, and then eternity. No more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pandemics, no more uh, hospitals, no more funerals, no more cemeteries. Eternal life with our Savior. Conquest and contentment. God promises that though there are hardships, the greatest joys in this life come from identifying with Jesus. I am come, Jesus says, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. These things write unto you that your joy may be full. And people who live for this life are so miserable. But people who live for Jesus are content. They're joyful. They're peaceful. These things have I written unto you that your joy may be full. We left those apostles forsaking Jesus, but after Jesus rose from the grave, he went out and found them. He brought them back to the fold, and they went and turned the world upside down. We're still teaching out of the books that they've written, and we're still learning from the examples that they left with us. You know, isn't it interesting that every single one of those that forsook him and fled end up dying for him because they learned the first time. Okay, price has its privilege, but man, this is a great privilege. Identifying with Jesus is the greatest privilege of all. Can we just have every head bowed and every eye closed with every head bowed and every eye closed? I just want to ask you a couple questions. 
First of all, are you willing to make the admission that you're a sinner? And heaven is an impossibility in your current state. Secondly, are you willing to 